comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Jersey Shore Podcast. Welcome to Jersey Shore. I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined tonight, as usual, by Pierce. Hi, guys. And our friend Denise is also here. She's probably not going to say anything, but if you hear strange laughter in the background, it's not because this podcast is haunted. It's because Denise is here. So tonight, Pierce and I are going to talk Star Trek Into Darkness. Yep. And when we're done, a couple days ago, actually, at this point, probably a week ago, we recorded an Iron Man 3 review together. Mm-hmm. And so as not to clog up the uh, feed on the, on the podcast feed, we're just going to stitch those together. So at the end of the Star Trek Into Darkness talk... It'll be uh, Iron Man 3 full spoilers review. So, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, Pierce, your general thoughts first. Uh, well, I think first we should very blatantly say spoilers. Oh, yes. Right. This is this is another one that you're going to, you know, it's going to be almost impossible to talk about well without spoilers. Because the thing I really had problems with in the movie, which in general I really liked yeah. the movie, but the, th- the thing I had major problems with is no way I could possibly talk about that without spoilers. Okay. So, uh, Pierce, general, general thoughts on Star Trek Into Darkness. I guess more just a yay or nay to start things off. Yay, I will say 90% yes, because it was 90% of a movie. You? <laughs> okay, because w- Pierce and I both had one major problem with the movie, but they're not yeah. the same problem, which is interesting. I would say I loved 98% of this movie, yeah. and that other 2%, though, was terrible. Like, I had a serious problem with the other 2% of things that were in the movie, whereas okay. you are upset because certain things weren't in the movie. It, that it, uh, if I remember correctly, it said it ended too abruptly for you, yes. which would mean you'd want more. So I'm saying I had problems with things that were in here, you're saying you had yeah. problems with things that weren't. Okay, well, let's let's start off basic plot analysis, and then we'll get into what we, th- what we liked and didn't like about each part. Sure. So, start out, oh, look... Mickey is having a sick child. Mickey from Doctor Who. Yes. Which it wasn't until I think it was you on Facebook posted in a comment something about Mickey being there that I remembered who it was because I'm looking at this guy going, I've seen this guy before. He's incredibly familiar looking. I recognize... I don't know if I recognize his voice because I don't remember if he said much in the movie. He might have said one or two lines. I think he had one line. But... I'm thinking, for the first five minutes of this movie, I'm thinking, where do I know this guy from? And because he's only in that first scene or two, yeah. I completely forgot about him by the time we left the theater until you brought it up. So yes, yeah, Mickey from Doctor Who has yeah, a sick was in, has a sick daughter, and then Sherlock walks in yes. and says to him, I can heal your daughter. And I'm all like, this is like a weird Doctor Who Moffat love fest. It's like Christmas. Yeah, exactly. So Sherlock's all like, I can heal your daughter, you just gotta do something for me. And daughter gets healed. Um, I did kind of call the blood thing in the beginning. I'm like, whatever it is, it's going to be his blood, and it's going to be a big deal, and that's going to have a plot point later because they wouldn't introduce to something if it didn't matter later. True, although they also did introduce it again later, closer to when it was used. Exactly, and that was like a reaffirmation for. But moving on, and then Mickey walks into work, and he's all like, oh, I don't, I, "I'm stressed about something." Drops his ring into a glass of water, Alcazars are like, and then it causes a chain reaction that explodes. Which I would say that would probably be they used it in, in Breaking Bad. I forget what it was called, but it's like essentially like pixelated mercury or something. That's not the actual term, yeah. but it's something where it's when it hits water, it just explodes. Yeah. Um, which was a big thing when it happened to Breaking Bad. But, so that was basically what it was, except this was an explosion that took down a skyscraper. 
Yeah. From, like, I think it was, like, basement level 23 or something. It was deep underground. Deep. Took out the whole building, pretty yeah. much. Which I thought they did very well. Kirk gets demoted. Yeah. Back down to first officer. He's now going to be Pike's per- first officer. Pike's going to take back over the Enterprise when Sherlock shows up again yeah. and kills Pike. Well, and a bunch of other people. Yeah. But Pike is one of the people caught in the crossfire. So Kirk regains control of the Enterprise. Shortest emotion ever. Yeah, exactly. And he gets permission from Admiral Marcus to go hunt down and murder Sherlock. Yep. Which they go attempt to do, and then the rest of the movie happens. But that's your basic yeah. setup. That's the first yeah. 20, 30 minutes. And there's Klingons, which I was I was happy Small group of Klingons. What did you think of their appearance? Because I know that's a huge point of contention for people. It, I, it was a remake of, of appearance. I, for the most part, liked it. I definitely liked their world, and I liked the redesign on the ships. The um the, the Birds of Prey were cool. They were kind of X-Wing-like. Yeah, they were... Well, they were actually, I would say more Battlestar Galactica-like, but they had the moving wings. They were, they were rough tech. You know, yeah. it wasn't clean cut, and that's what I liked. Like, is they're cobbled together. Like. Exactly, which which is something I like in space-related things. I like that look and feel, almost like a Firefly-esque where, you know, it's it's cobbled together. Kind of thing. And it helps give a strong visual contrast between exactly. the Federation ships, which Very are flying Apple stores, yeah, and exactly. I, I don't say that dismissively. I like that look against something that looks like an Apple II. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> where, where it had to be pieced together. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it looks like an Apple II that was... It looked like Reavers. It was blown up yeah. and then put back together. Exactly. Oh, yeah, right. Reavers isn't a bad uh, pool, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that. I like the look. I mean, we only saw the face of one. So, I mean, we yes. can't really say it's a full redesign when it... All the rest are wearing back. helmets, which I thought looked cool. Yeah. I've seen some people complain about them. They were a little basic looking, but, right. I mean, whatever. They're, they're you know, they weren't the main point of the movie. You know, not a big deal. I, I liked the look of the one that whose face we saw. So I thought that looked very good. And they I think they did it justice in the in when uh, Ohura talked in Klingon. It yeah, was, it was. I, I liked whatever way it was that they did the the. Well, they subtitles. they did the subtitles the same way they did any other floating text on exactly. screen, which is something J.J. Abrams does a lot. And he always like in Fringe or other places where he's used it. It usually looks like it's kind of floating. Like it exactly. looks like the, the text is actually there. It's not just superimposed. Yeah. But because this was 3D, which I thought the 3D was really good, especially for a post conversion. This was yeah. not done in camera. All the like markers for oh you're on Kronos now or you're on Earth now or whatever were and the subtitles they were floating in front of the screen yeah which was really kind of cool and they weren't centered they would be below the which is what I really like yeah and it helped direct your eyes and it flowed with the scene better because your eyes are only looking in one you know quadrant to use a Star Trek term of the screen (laughs) and also a quadrant term Um, instead of looking at the center looking back at the characters to see what they're doing I thought that was effective but uh, going back to what was actually said too it was very Klingon they got that very accurate and very honor driven very you know revenge you know that kind of thing which was spot on and I liked which I I should say and then we should talk about looking back our Star Trek experience I'm I'm more of a Trek guy than I than I would say of the other series of of the other Star series you know Gate Wars stuff like that I I really like Star Trek and I like the older stuff and I'm I'm pretty familiar with it and I didn't like the first reboot movie okay which um, I I, st- I did enjoy it quite a yeah. bit but um, I think that's just because I have a problem with you know alternate timelines and canon and all that stuff you know the whole first movie didn't really happen but you know I really like this one but anyway, moving forward like I like the Klingon look. I had this small hope that when Simon Pegg had to go, I got a name of an actor. Um, That's true, yeah. Yeah, this is a big day for me. Uh, When he had to go and find those coordinates um, that 
that Sherlock gave to, to Kirk and, you know, passing on, I was kind of hoping that was going to be Borg. And it was like, they captured something Borg. And I had this little deep, like, thing where I was like, I kind of want that to be Borg. I knew it wasn't going to happen. But I think a lot of Star Trek fans would have lost their minds in a bad way if it had been Borg. Yeah, I can see that. And it also would have been a lot. Yes. Yes. There's already a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. Which is weird because there's really only, like, two or three set pieces. Yeah. Like, they're, you're on the Enterprise most of the time, or the, I think the other one's called The Vengeance. The big... The Dreadnought. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that was called The Vengeance. Well, okay, yeah. So, I mean, you're on those mostly, you're on Kronos for a little bit, you have a couple scenes on Earth, but for the most part, it's them running around the Enterprise. Yeah. So, it is a film that takes place only over a couple of days in a few small places, but it feels much bigger yeah. than that. My Star Trek experience, I've probably seen a third to a half of nearly every series. Yeah. Uh, not Enterprise, and Enterprise seen, doesn't exist. I've probably seen less of Deep Space Nine than any others, but I've still seen a lot of it. And I've seen most of the movies. Some yeah. of them multiple times. Oddly enough, usually the ones I like the least I've seen the most. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, but that's just what it is. Now, I will save a specific note for one I had or had not seen until after we get to that twist yeah. in the plot. But So, I, I mean, my experience with Star Trek is pretty sizable. I'm, not, yeah. I'm by no means an expert, but I know more than the layperson. I probably like Star Wars more. Okay. But I still like Star Trek quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And I liked the, the 2009 movie, and in general, I really, really loved this one. But so let's continue on with the plot. So John Harrison, who is Sherlock, yeah. is hiding down on Kronos, which is why they're going there. They've been told, we've got 72 experimental missiles, you're going to sit on the edge of the neutral zone, and you're going to just bomb them, just kill them. Yeah. Um, he's a terrorist, kill them. They decide, probably not a good idea, because that'll start a war. Yeah. So they, they tell him they have the missiles, and that they will fire him, instead they go down to pick him up. Um, basically, surrender, we'll, we'll take you into custody. That's yeah. when the Klingons attack. They fight off the Klingons. Well, really, John Harrison fights off the yeah. Klingons because Sherlock is not only a mental beast, which I've, I mean, I've been saying, you know, fear the batch for the last couple of days. It's been my, <laughs> my catchphrase even before I saw the movie. And it's so true in this movie because, yeah. especially once we get more into the character, he is not just a mental presence, which he definitely is. He is a psychological, mm-hmm. mental beast. Com- mental command, I, I would yeah. yeah. Um, he is in complete mental control of all the situations around him, but also physically. I mean, I, when I think of Sherlock, and I love the BBC Sherlock show, yeah. I think of a tall, lanky, very skinny, not curly hair, imposing yeah. mm-hmm. person who can get into a. He can, he can hold his own in a fight if he has to, but Cumberbatch in this was a physical presence to be feared. Yeah, and I thought that went. And really I think well. what really drove that was his calm. And his collectiveness, and I think but also what, he bulked up for this. Did he? I think so. Okay. He looked his he wider, his shoulders were a little bit wider and a little bit thicker and stuff. Denise yeah. is nodding in approval. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he still didn't have much of a chin, which I thought was funny because there was only one or two shots where you see him from the side, and he didn't. Have, I was like, oh yeah, he does it. I forgot about that. They just yeah. never catch him from the front, but. And then he surrenders once he gets told there's 72 they, missiles. They kill all the Klingons. Yeah. They bring him on board. Yeah, see? I'm right, yeah. Although it looked fairly strong in this, from the front. From yeah. the front. Because, like, again, they, he really yeah. toned up. Uh, so they bring him into custody. He tells them... First he tells them, here's these coordinates. And the warp... Yeah, well, the warp core was, was faulted on purpose. I forget what order they tell him these things, but he basically tells them... Does he tell them what's in the missiles first? Um, no. No, they say open them. He says open them. He tells them open a missile. They open one of the missiles. They find that inside of every missile... There's a dude. ...is, is a frozen person. It's like there's, there's a, you know, Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop. Yeah. So. 
Um, it takes an explosion to get to the center of one of these Um So, meanwhile, Sc- uh, Scotty quit. He's off on his own. He refused to bring these missiles onto the ship without proper, like, handling everything. Yeah. And so he's off on his own. With his little coral-looking sidekick. Yeah, thing. I forget his name. What is that? But it's, uh, he's played by, um, remember when they remade Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I refuse to acknowledge that. Okay, Why well, is that was so much better? But okay. His name is Deep Roy. Deep Roy. Um, but it's the same guy who played every single Oompa Loompa in those movies, in that movie. It's it's him. I don't know, like, what species is it? Couldn't tell you. Uh, yeah, I doubt they... I'm sure so there's a dude cute. out there somewhere that has, knows exactly, you know, what species he is, but... Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so, Benedict Cumberbatch, I keep almost saying other things. And he tells them, go check out this coordinate if you want to find out what your government's really yeah. doing and why you should team up with me, because I can sense you, Kirk, or a man of honor. Kirk passes those numbers on to Scotty. Scotty goes to investigate. Yeah. I heard the numbers. The, the coordinates. The, the, numbers, like, yes. the numbers were a clue, definitely. And then right around this time, they go, Mr. Harrison, what, what's your real name? They, they no, figured out this point. I don't... They didn't... Well, they didn't say, what's your real name? They said, who are you? We oh, looked yeah. you up, uh, but you didn't exist before a year ago. So, what's your real name, essentially? Yeah. Like, And he does the pause... My name is Khan. So, spoilers, it's Khan. Yay! Um, what every fanboy actually wanted. Some really didn't. Some really didn't. Yeah, well, they're dumb. Well, but what did you think? Now, we have seen two actors on screen play... Uh, Khan Noonien Singh, we've seen uh, Ricardo, Ricardo Montalban, and we've seen. I knew Benny that. Cumberbatch. That's a second name. Come for Pierce today. Do you prefer one over the other? I mean, I feel like I'm a little bit biased because I love Combo Batch's work. I, I, yeah, I think that's one thing that's kind of difficult because what was the last thing Ricardo Montalban was in? He's dead, so it's been Dang. a while. Yes. <laughs> um, like. <laughs> He's, it's not a relevant, like, you know, it's like saying which classic actor you do prefer over modern day act. Like, it's it's hard to compare. Khan in this, in the, it's Benedict Cumberbatch's Khan was much more militaristic, I feel like, while, I know I want to, I should clarify militaristic, versus Ricardo, Ricardo Montalban's almost more war chief kind of feel. That's at least what I got more from, from Ricardo Montalban. Out of the Space Seed episode or out of Wrath of Khan? I would say more Wrath of Khan. Like, okay. when, you, when, you, when you see him in Wrath of Khan, I mean, maybe it's just the whole fact it's a desert planet, but he's just kind of like a warlord that has this band of people that are trying and to And he certainly survive. feels like he's gone a little bit crazy by yeah. the end of that movie. Um, we, we should pause to say, I mean, you were telling me, after we saw the movie, we, we kept our conversations as short as possible yes. so we wouldn't spoil anything. But you were saying that um, Wrath of Khan is your favorite movie. Definitely of the original series movies, by far. Uh, more than Voyage Home, I know a lot of people love Saving Whales, but, you know... I, That's one of the ones I've seen the most times. I do not like that movie. Uh, I don't hate it. It's just, like, I don't understand why people love it so much. Okay, I'll, um, I'll give you But that. I kind of like First Contact. I know a lot of people don't. I like First Contact. Um, but, yeah, so that one I might say is, is a close, you know, second... Um, but yeah, so I would say Wrath of Khan is my favorite. Which, I will make a confession on this show that I don't think I've said on any podcast before. Yeah. Before yesterday, I had never seen Wrath of Khan. Yeah. I had seen a few scenes here and there. I'd never seen the full movie, which is odd because I've seen, like I said, quite a bit of Star Trek. Yeah. But after seeing this movie, and we'll get into more of it after this, but I went home and the next day I watched Space Seed. Yeah. 
I watched, which is, the, which is the original yes. series episode that Khan debuted in. Because I didn't know the name of it. I'm like, I'm figuring that's what, when you said that, I'm like, I figure that's what he means, but I'm, yeah, I wasn't sure. Which, it's the reason he's got Wrath to yeah, exactly. <laughs> deliver in Wrath of Khan. And then I watched uh, one of my favorite episodes of Sherlock. So yeah. it was this weird, bizarre Connections night of Netflix viewing, which was two, two Khan things and another Benedict Cumberbatch thing. Yeah. And granted, so I don't have the depth or breadth of knowledge or experience with Khan and his characterization. I've seen it now exactly once. Yeah. All of it. I definitely prefer Cumberbatch's. And it's nothing against Ricardo Montalban. I mean, I know he was a revered actor, but it's, I mean, particularly in the episode, which granted that was yeah. a TV episode from the 60s, but very hammy. The, Very the, the episode, yeah, the episode was rough. And, and, but that's all of the original series Star Trek episodes. So. And then in the movie, he's a little bit more fierce, but his crazy and fierceness kind of morphs more into goofiness at a lot of points. He's wearing the ridiculous yeah. fake chest. Okay, alright, yeah, that's very and weird. he's supposed to be this superb tactician and, you know, better at everything. Mm-hmm. And while I got that out of the Cumberbatch con, the Montauban con was making, oftentimes, and I know part of it was plot-wise because it's as he's going crazy, yeah, crazy because he's yeah. mm-hmm. but even from the beginning, half of his decisions seem, even after, like in context, context after seeing the whole thing, seem like terrible decisions to make as a tactician. Yeah. So... I feel like I liked Cumberbatch's better, and I know that'll probably take tons of people off, but I did. And, and I can definitely see that. I think part of it is also the time. We, I think, are better at making movies now than we Or were just then. our sense of what com- what is realistic in a film has changed as yeah. we morph from live theater into a not economy, but just a culture of film. Yeah. You know, the, the way you act is different in those two things. And one, you're playing to the rafters and one, you're playing to the, to the, yeah. you know, to the front row. But even with that, he still felt off to me. I, I didn't dislike Wrath of Khan. I, I enjoyed it quite yeah. a bit and I didn't dislike him in the role. I just really believed Cumberbatch more in the role and That's I enjoyed fine. him in the role more. That's fine. But even, I think what also, what made me like Wrath wasn't even just the character of Khan. It was also everything else that surrounded it. it oh, yeah, was, and I was just... It was the was Genesis Project. It was all... Yeah, I know you're I specifically was just talking about. Khan out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, just, you know, saying what... Because it was a really good movie. I'll, I'll oh, quote yeah, it with yeah. that. I, I enjoyed um, it a bit. Just the whole idea of the Genesis Project and everything that happened with Spock. Kurt Sun and Carol Marcus. Exactly. And... Which, yeah, I thought that was a very interesting mirror in so many different spots throughout the entire... Yeah, which we'll, I guess yeah. we'll get to after we run through the plot. So they find, Scotty finds at the coordinates that Khan gave him, this ship. I believe it's the USS Vengeance, or the NCC Vengeance. Uh, I don't know the, the name of the ship. I know it's a Dreadnought class. That's I believe that's what it is. But it's like two to three times the size of the Enterprise. Yeah. It's black. It looks yeah. really cool. That comes after Kirk, because the whole plan was yeah. Colonel Marcus, not Colonel, Admiral Marcus... Yeah. Uh, wants to start war with the Klingons, more or less. Or he wants to trick them into starting war with the Federation because ever since Nero and Spock came through in the first movie and Vulcan was destroyed, the whole galaxy is teetering more towards war, which is why Kirk and crew haven't gone off on an exploration mission yet. They're preparing for combat, military Mm -hmm. training and stuff. So he basically wants to 
get rid of Khan, who helped him build the ship. Yeah. He wants to get rid of Khan's crew, who are in the missiles, and he wants to start war with the Klingons and wipe them out, because he fears them, and he thinks this will, this will work, and he wants to basically blame the whole thing on Kirk and crew. Yeah, exactly. So, Colonel Marcus comes through in the big ship, he fires on and disables he's like, why did the you, Enterprise. Well, first he's like, so why didn't you do the thing that I told you to do? And Kirk tries to give him an out, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Where he basically like, gives him a very reasonable, I will say this sentence... You can agree to it, say, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. We can all go home knowing full well what we were up to, but pretending we didn't, and no one has to die. Colonel Marcus doesn't go for it. Kirk and Khan came up for a while. Well, I really like the line where Kirk's like, yeah, I think Khan should get the trial that everyone else deserves. And Admiral Marcus is like, you talk to him. Uh, I was afraid that was going to happen. All right, I guess i got to kill you. Yeah, this was uh, Sherlock versus Robocop in a lot of places, because Peter Weller played uh, yeah. played uh, General Marcus. So, Alice Eve plays Carol Marcus, Kirk's eventual wife in the original series, mm-hmm. and she gets beamed back aboard her father's ship. She's already, which, she's against which, him. Which, I beaming in this looks a lot like Time Lord Regeneration. A little bit. And when Sherlock was transporting while he was in that little copter thing. I was like, Sherlock, you're generating. I thought it was going to be a mask. I uh, thought it was like his face was warping in the trailers when I saw that same yeah. shot. But uh, I, you know, re-watching Wrath of Khan last night, it's actually very similar to the effect they use in Wrath of Khan. It is. Yeah, okay. It's a little, it's obviously more CG, advanced yeah, CG, more but blowy, it's a very yeah. similar effect. Um, with some of the more particles sticking around, which A, remind me of Next Generation, but also remind me of yeah, Time Exactly, Warner. yeah. So Kirk and Khan space jump over to the Vengeance in a way that doesn't make any sense to me in terms of how gravity works. Um, <laughs> seemed to, I mean, it was a very cool scene. It was neat. Didn't make sense. It was a little bit of fan service. Like, this is the, oh, there hasn't been an action sequence in, like, you know, five minutes. Let's... So, but before this, before when the, when the, I, I've got to mention my favorite scene. I think one of the most visually and orally interesting things I've ever seen or heard in a theater... I thought this was an incredible scene and sequence. It's when Kirk and crew on the Enterprise are escaping through warp space. And the Vengeance comes in behind them and starts firing on them mid-warp. And it basically knocks them out of warp. Yeah. And it it is another thing that mirrors Wrath of Khan now that I've seen that. It's very Mm -hmm. similar to when they're in the nebula in terms of the look. But the sound is like something I've never really heard before. It's mostly black and whites with the red of the lasers and the green of the lasers. All surrounded by the blue of the warp, yeah. And, you know, the blue of the warp, the black and white, and the the light coming from behind Mm -hmm. the ships, like backlighting it. It is one of the coolest looking and sounding things I've seen in any movie ever. I thought that, if nothing else was amazing. I would pay to see this movie again just to see that in IMAX and yeah. 3D, which is how we saw it, because that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is something I'll never be able to replicate the same way on a TV screen. You know, that yeah. was that was amazing. So, they space jump in a way that doesn't make any sense, but it's cool over to Marcus's ship. Again, I think it's called The Vengeance, but we're not yeah. 100% sure. And, which and, Scotty is disabled, but... I mean, Scotty is, is disabling, yeah. you know, it's kind of a comedy Scotty scene. It worked, it was fine. Yeah. And they're, they're still not sure whether they're trust con. So this is where they do something that a lot of people have been really ticked about. Didn't bother me so much. But Zachary Quinto Spock calls up Leonard Nimoy Spock and basically yeah. says, Hey, you ever heard of a guy named Khan? And Spock goes, You know I yeah. told you I'm not going to tell you anything. But that yeah. being said, Khan will stop at nothing to kill you, or to kill you and the crew. Yeah. Do not trust him. 
and I think and he was like, did you uh, beat him? Yeah, did you beat him at a great cost? Yes, we did, but it was a great cost, and that was the end of the Leonard Nimoy cameo. A lot of people thought it was pandering and needless, and it took okay, it out of film. was it pandering? Yes, but I mean, it didn't bother me. I'm just how, saying, yeah, no, it I didn't bother me. me. And I think, how often do you get to have a character? foreshadowingly say that he got killed by this character that you're fighting. Yeah, I mean, I think it, for anybody who's seen Wrath of Khan, that scene can have a lot of weight. For anyone yeah. who hasn't, that scene is just weird. Yeah. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And even people who have seen Love Khan, a lot of them also thought, just didn't need to be in this movie. We should have left that old timeline behind in this movie. You had to spend that whole last movie setting up this new timeline. We don't need to be constantly reminded this is new. We already know that. Yeah. Again, I didn't really have a problem with it. So Spock gets that information. He passes it on to Kirk, who passes it on to Scotty. And basically, as soon as we get to the command center, or whatever, the control deck, yeah. and get Marcus under control, stun Khan, put him under. Which which is the part that bothered me. Like, every everyone's like, oh, he will betray you, he will betray you. Like I don't think he would have. I'm, I'm of the same, I think he would have, this is now my ship, you give me those things... And then I go away. Yeah, I don't think. He, I, yeah, I agree. I think he still would have gone on a similar path that the original Khan did, in that he would probably then want to head back to Earth and take over. But I don't think he would have murdered them. I, I don't think he even would have headed back to Earth to murder them. Like that's what he wanted to do in the original. And so, and, and granted, you can't yeah. take everything from that as exactly. gospel in this new universe. But that's still the same guy who was frozen in the mid '90s, which is funny now that we've re, we've remade this. Yeah. In that, in addition to timeline wise, a couple problems actual real-life problems. We didn't have a eugenics war in the 90s. That I remember. Um, I was young, but... Uh, maybe? No, no, actually, I don't think, yeah. So, and, and yeah, basically, we didn't say, but the Botany yeah. Bay was found by Marcus earlier, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So, they quickly disable Khan, but not really, because it's Khan. I'm about so to say. he fakes being down for a second, and then when they're not paying attention, he breaks Carol Marcus's leg, I believe. Which she took very well. She screamed. Okay, but then after that, she was like, oh, okay. Well, they've got space medicine. Um, <laughs> salt shakers and such. So he takes out Scotty, he takes out Kirk, and he crushes Admiral Marcus's head like a grape. Yeah. Off screen. Um, <laughs> which was probably for the best. Yeah, Denise is making a pooky face. So. The sound was horrible. The sound was... <laughs> I can't imagine it's a pleasant sound. I can't imagine you hear someone skull, skull, skull crack, and I'm like, I could get that soundtrack. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> I want that for my text tone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Khan starts attacking the Enterprise. Yeah, uh, they're close to Earth at this point. They got knocked out of warp, very close to Earth. They're like near the moon, I think, or something. Yeah, like that. they were there. Yeah, so they're still heading towards Earth this whole time. Basically, he starts shooting the Enterprise again, and it's it's in flames. Everything's going crazy, and he basically says the great line from the trailer: "No ship should go down without her captain." He mm -hmm. beams over Scotty and Kirk. They have to run in and try to save the day. The whole time, the Enterprise is. Slowly, but you know, increasing in velocity, yeah. t falling towards Earth. Yeah, flipping and twirling. It's flipping. They have no gravity, so you have they run through the Budweiser factory again. Yeah, and which and now let me say real quick, and I, I actually this is what I said on on Facebook in a way to make things not spoilers. Almost everything that I thought to myself, oh, I hope they do this, happened in the movie, and one of those things was, oh, I hope they rotate the ship so they had to start running on the walls, and then they rotated the ship. Have you not seen any trailers? I like every trailer. I, I part of me avoided some of the trailers. I don't. I'm not one of those persons that's like I'm going to actively avoid trailers to avoid spoilers. Which is but. which is odd because I'm the kind of person who doesn't like spoilers, but I watch like every trailer. Yeah. And you don't watch trailers, but you're fine with being spoiled on things. Yeah, I know. Yeah. This one I wasn't simply because 
I went in not knowing if it was Khan or not. Right. And, and I was like... Strong indications, but no hints. Proof. But I, you know, it was the, I don't know which way it's going to go. I would really like it to. And I wanted to be either surprised or let down without getting ideas from the trailer. So that was pretty much that. But anyway, so they're running through the ship. They've got to get la, the gravity la, 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 la. back on. I think they get the gravity back on pretty quick, but they still don't have power well, for, like, the engines, right? Well, no, 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 no. They have to realign the... Um, the core. But isn't the gravity fixed before then? Or no. no? Okay. No. So they get there. It's a very familiar scene for anyone who's seen Wrath of Khan. But instead yeah. of Spock having to go in to realign the core or whatever it was technically that he did in yeah. the core, it's a very different looking core between the two. A much more realistic, yeah. If you say so. I've never been inside of an, a fission core before. Well, I'm just saying the fact that it looked like technology and not yes. super sleek It did looking. not look like something from Guts from Nickelodeon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it did not look like he was aligning the crag. <laughs> <laughs> so he runs into... He's told he won't make it, but he knocks out or, or ties up Well, Scotty. basically, Scotty was like, we won't, we won't get to the core before we die of uh, radiation. Or we won't be able to get back, at least. Well, no, he said we won't survive the climb. And, so, and Kirk was all like, you're right, we won't, and then punches him in the face and then ties him. Yeah. yeah, and puts the seatbelts. I like those seatbelts in the movie, which yeah. is cool. He then climbs in, he relines the core. There is a mirrored version of the Spock death scene from Wrath of Khan. This time it which is... Which was very touching. I thought it worked well. And, and then you get Zachary Quinto yelling Khan, which was ridiculous. I think half the theater laughed because it was so goofy. Eh. I liked it. It was really hokey to me. I liked it. It Just the whole thing was, for lack of a better word, a love letter, I think. I understand that. I think Khan would have fit into this movie, maybe even still from Spock, but in that moment, the timing of it and that particular delivery was laughable. I think if you wanted to have Kirk do it, you could have had it at several other points in the movie. If you wanted to have Spock do it, there were several other points that would have made sense as he's like chasing him through the. I, I think it was necessary for Spock to do it. Yeah, but at that particular moment, it was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> at least for me, sitting in the theater, um, that was not my problem with the movie though. So Kirk is dead. Yep. Spock wants his revenge, so yep. he is. So at this time, he he realigns the core just in time. The Enterprise falls through the clouds. Which then was comes out, nice, which yeah. is a very cool thing, because particularly in the trailers, you see a starship crashing into the water and then into San Francisco yeah. proper. Taken and out, out. I was convinced yeah. after seeing this movie because it, it turns out it's the vengeance that falls through, yeah. and basically Khan knows he's been tricked. He doesn't have his so he's crew. Gonna take down, he's yeah. going to take out as much of Starfleet as he can. And so I'm watching it going day. Faked the CGI in the trailer and I made it the Enterprise. About that. I wondered. I about went it. back. I checked. No, it really is the Vengeance. Okay, but it's just the shots you see are so quick, and the way the lighting is because it's so much brighter okay. on Earth, it comes across gray. You just you just assume that we, it's... everybody assumed it was the Enterprise. So I was like, okay, good on them. I thought maybe they'd done extra yeah. work on the trailer. Like that would be cool as well. So uh, Khan's running through San Francisco, hopping from flying car to flying yeah. car. Spock beams down and goes Hunts him down, chases yeah. him, and at that point. That's when the Tribble comes back to life because Bones yep. had injected a Tribble with Khan's blood. Also, Bones said the thing. Bones said the thing and it made me happy. Which thing? Because he said a lot the, of his lines. The, dang it, I'm a doctor, not a blank. Oh, yeah. And I, at, at which point I went, oh. Actually, I went like that. I, yeah. I sighed in, in annoyance. Long In the beginning of that scene, before you ever see the Tribble, because you'd already yeah. seen him inject the Tribble before, as soon as they went back to that room, I went, 
the Tribble's going to come back to life. Oh, the moment they inject Khan with... Or Kirk with Khan's blood, and he's going to come back to life. This is stupid. Yep. So they tell... Spock's hunting down Khan. They tell him, don't, don't kill him. You can't kill him. They're coming over the thing. You've got to keep him alive. Or or they can't even get get a hold of him. They They have to beam her down to tell him. And she beams down, starts shooting Sherlock with with a stun... Phaser. And then uh, Spock punches him a few more times, mirroring the scene in Star Trek, the 2009 movie, where he's beating up a kid um, in school. It's, it's the same oh, yeah, thing yeah, yeah, yeah. everything. It's, it's a direct mirror. Um, and then they finally knocks him out with a piece of metal, just like yeah. Khan has gotten knocked out, I believe, in both in this, Wrath of Khan, and in Space Seed. He gets knocked out in the end by a piece of metal. I don't remember Space Seed, but okay. All right. Um, it definitely happens in Space Seed, because like I said, I watched it last night. Okay. And it's, it's a ridiculous-looking piece of equipment or metal or plastic, whatever it was supposed to be. Yeah. Anyway, they bring him back. Flash forward, like, two months later. Yeah. Kirk is waking up out of um, coma. He's fine. They're going to go off on their exploration, their five-year exploration mission. Yeah, and then they jump... Well, first they jump to a year ahead when they do a commencement speech. Yeah, they do the commencement speech at for the brand new rechristened Starfleet Academy, which yeah. has been rebuilt, and yada, yada, yada. Credits roll. This is the this is or before the credits. This is the five year mission of the Enterprise to pull the go where no one's done before, as read by Chris Pine as Kirk. They play the motion picture theme. They play the television theme. Yeah. No, that's the that's the television theme. The motion picture theme is what we think of as the next generation theme. Oh, okay. But that was first used in the motion picture. They play that the motion picture theme. Then they play the original television theme redone, obviously yeah. by Michael Giacchino. Credits roll. The end. I and I was like. Now your problem that was very abrupt. You wanted more. You wanted more explanation. I, I had two problems. One was it was just abrupt. It was we need him. Triple blood wakes up. Jump a year over. Which apparently in the last year that war with uh, Coronos hasn't started yet. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, I, I'm like there's so much that just we're like oh we're happy and done now. The the other thing that really bothered me is they did such a good job of mirroring so much in that movie, but I they particularly mi- in the last act, uh, but Khan. they mirrored what I think could arguably the most powerful part of Wrath of Khan, the death of Spock, uh, the the funeral, the of all the souls that I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human, right? Which is one of the most quoted lines, other than just Khan. <laughs> Not really a line so much as an exclamation, but yeah. yeah uh, and that line had so much power, and I think it would have also had power given by Spock at Kirk's funeral. Oh, it would have made as much sense in no. context, but as, as again, the love note mirror side of it, I think it, it would have been nice. I think that's my thing. Like, he should have stayed dead. I know you can't do that. I know it's hard for a series, and I know Star Trek Three was atrocious, and the whole way that they brought him back was cheesy. But it was just as cheesy as the, in in the way they did it this one. So why not do it in the third movie and let this one wrap up in a solemn but powerful way? Well, I, I would disagree with you on a slight point, but I will say that is the thing that killed the movie for me. Yeah. It brings it from like nine, nine and a half down several points. Is resurrecting Kirk? I felt yep. like it. I felt like they had done such a good job of earning his death. Mm-hmm. They earned that, and to have actually left him dead would have really spun this series off in a new direction, something new. Leave Sulu as captain, put Spock as captain, and I th- I think that would have been awesome. I'm not saying they should have killed yeah. him, but killing him and bringing him back 
whether it's the same movie or the next movie, it's just as dumb. It was laughable. It was stupid. There was no reason to do it. Either leave him alive and mirror that scene, but save him before he dies. Like, you inject him with Khan's blood yeah. before he dies, or he's able to find a suit or something, or just don't have that scene at all, or leave him dead. Yep. You worked so hard to earn that scene to just throw it away mm. five minutes later in the dumbest way possible. And, and, li- and pretty much literally five minutes as well. Oh, yeah. It was so quick, and that's what really bothered me. It, was, uh, it might have been 10, because there was a whole rooftop chase, but I know what you're saying. It was still very quick. It was so abrupt, and and it wasn't justified in any way, shape, yeah. or form. I mean, yes, they set it up earlier that the little girl was healed. They set up that the triple came back to life. It doesn't make it any less dumb. Yeah. You know, you can still have her be sick and have it heal her, or something like that, without it being so ridiculous, because she was only sick. The triple was pretty dumb, and then bringing him back was extremely dumb. And like I said, I'm not saying, Star Trek fans, I'm not saying they should have killed Kirk. I'm just saying they should have picked one or the other. And either one would have been just fine in the context of this movie. That's how good I think it was. But to try to have both ruined it. I'm saying they they should have killed him. I think it's necessary to do... I think I would find that more interesting, personally, as well. well. But also, I'm saying, like... Then, I don't, is this, is this, what movie number was this? Twelve. Twelve, okay. Follow the bloody rule of evens, okay? And make thirteen awful, bring Kirk back. I think in the, the goal should really be to make all of them really good. Nope, nope, because you need one bad one to bring him back to life. Like, I don't care how cheesy I don't even is. think they should have, if they'd go, kept him dead and then gone to the next movie and brought him back, I think that would have been just as bad. At least it wouldn't have tainted this movie yeah. in that way. But it still would have been incredibly dumb. Let him die. I, I was surprised no one died in this movie. Obviously, a yes. couple people, ancillary characters died. Yeah, red shirts, left and right. But and, and, and Colonel, and I keep saying Colonel, Admiral Marcus. Yeah. But I could have seen Chekhov dying or Scotty dying. The stakes were so high in this movie to have yeah. nobody die and stay dead was ridiculous. And, and this, this is the reason you reboot something is to take chances with it and not just do the same thing over and yeah, over Yeah, exactly. And also what they did with Khan. How so? What do you mean when you say what they did? I'm, I'm curious. What Froze him, and then that was it. Like I think that was just to bring him back for trial and stuff. No, no. Like he, he, he was Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, shut and locked up in a yeah, container. Oh, that's true. That's true. But that, that for me is just leaving him there till they can have trial, or because the Starfleet faked a trial and they want these soldiers, which means they can bring him back, which I'm fine with. Well, it, but my thing is, like, I would have liked to seen, like, in what happened. Take your people, go away. And then, like, Star Trek Four could be the second Wrath of Khan or something. Yeah. Exactly. But at the very least, uh, that's what I liked in that Khan's people in the original were allowed to live and, and like, they, it wasn't their choice to become weapons. Like, they were created this way. And that's right. kind of what I liked in the original was, like, yeah, okay, you're jerks. You're all, okay, fine. But... It's not entirely your fault. So we'll have mercy on you. Like, we're not just going to stick you in cryotubes and freeze you. Like, it was almost like the, I wanted them to go, I wanted Kirk to have that compassion and say, go away. We were the ones that technically betrayed you. We made you what you are. Just go. I mean, I think part of that has to do with him being killed. He wasn't there to make that decision. By the time he would yeah. up, that was already have been out of his hands. Then they're on Earth. Have them all like live and go on their own would nullify the Spock two timeline conversation because you can't like like let your enemy go and fester kind of thing mentality. 
Like, even if you show compassion, that's just not smart tactics. Yeah, after your older self has told you that this man will stop at nothing to murder you and everyone in the And I think that, yeah, that, that, that did kind of and corrupt also, that. also, just because they're cryogenically frozen, they can defrost them at any one point. So I'm thinking that maybe for a plotline for another movie, they'll bring Khan back, obviously. And I think they could do that like, and do it well. Uh, I think they could, but, uh, you know, it's just like, oh, I could see we're done movie, with you in a, in a I plot. could see movie three being, they are on, and I say movie three, movie 13 being... They're on their mission, they're fight the beginning of their five-year mission, when war breaks out between the Federation and the Klingons. It's definitely going to be a Klingon thing. They yeah. get called back, they're losing, they're losing, they're losing. They get some important battle, like a la Death Star type thing, but it's yeah. not over, and at the end of the movie, Starfleet authorizes the unfreezing of the Augments, and they're going to be their frontline soldiers for this war because they're losing so badly. And that, that. that, at the end of the movie, next movie is... Is Khan versus Klingons and Kirk and you know yeah that to me could be really interesting and and, and again I, I sound so negative about this movie I loved so much of it not like up like if you yeah if you watch ninety percent of it you're like yes and then watching that last ten percent was brutal I would say I, like I said I'd even go as far as saying ninety eight percent of it I loved it's yeah. just those last couple minutes where it's like this is dumb and then the whole thing even with I mean usually plot holes I'm the first one to go look. The answer to this plot hole was in there. It was just subtle, yeah. or you weren't paying attention. In this case, we can't kill Khan because we need his blood. You mean the same blood that's in 71 or yeah. 72, or 72, specifically 72, other bodies on your ship? Yep. That same blood? That blood. Why don't you use some of that blood? Just murder the guy who's yeah. a super terrorist, you know? It, it, that, was, yeah. that was a logical problem with me. But uh, And in that first chunk of the movie, everything up till that part... There was only one thing that bothered me. And the only thing that bothered me was Carol. And that one scene that Carol they... Carol Marcus, to be yes. specific, yes. The one scene that they showed in every single trailer... Not everyone, but... In, but the majority of them was, oh, look, she's scantily clad in this scene. Yeah, that was just in there for no reason. It was complete fan service. Kirk now. wasn't even going down on that mission with her. He was on the bridge in the next scene. Exactly. Like, it was completely pointless. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mind seeing it, but <laughs> it also... I didn't hear anybody complaining... I'm just like, this was fan service. Okay, go away. So how about uh, George Takei's dream finally being realized, just not with him, in Sulu getting to take the captain's chair? I thought that was interesting. I, I love that. Because with Bones, it's like, yeah. this guy can't handle that. And then yeah. he sits there, yeah, yeah, yeah. steely-eyed, is like, we will eviscerate you from this planet. And Bones have to be like, remind me never get on the bad side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Bones interacting with yeah, I think Bones Bones was a subtle drive in the movie. Like, there are so many little things that Bones was in and doing. Although I felt they overdid the Bones-isms by 20-30%. Nope, nope, I loved it. Cause Cause it cause even, even, you have to get to the point where you need to have Kirk make a joke about, man, you keep doing this a lot. Yeah. That's when you're really pushing it. But, you I mean, know? that's what the character was. He was... He was not... He might have said a Bonesism once or twice in an episode, not 12 times in an hour and a <laughs> half. Every scene he was in had a Bonesism. But dang it, Jordan, that's who Bones is. He's a doctor. It's, uh, you know, Scotty had a good arc. Yeah. He had a lot to do. Uhura had very little to do. She had a lot to do in the first uh, movie, not a lot here. I think she she had some her, good her character development, development points, yes. They, they were small but important parts. Uh, whereas Chekhov had small, Chekhov. Mo mostly meaningless parts in this movie. But I mean, it's kind of hard to make a character with such an accent, you oh, know. He's so adorbsies. Yeah. I mean, he. It, it, it's just you can't. Yeah. They, if they can do it with Scotty. They can. No, nope, we're with, not getting rid of that part. If they can do it with Scotty, they can do it with Chekhov. 
Well, I mean, I guess. You know, and going back to Carol Marcus for a second, you had made the point that uh, you weren't saying she was useless in the movie. You were saying that one cheesecake shot was out of place, which I agree with. I've seen a lot of people, though, in reviews saying she had no reason to be in this movie, which I disagree. I think her side arc with her father was more than just fan service. I mean, it did have a legitimate plot point in the movie. It's the reason they didn't get instantly obliterated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was a bargaining chip, essentially. Um, but a minimal bargaining chip. It didn't even, like... She could. She didn't have to be there. That's true, but she also didn't really need to be there in Wrath of Khan, either. But I mean, uh, like, that went a little bit more so. And I one of the things I did really I mean, obviously like, she added to Wrath of Khan. I'm yes. not complaining about that. I, that saying. was also one of my favorite mirrors in who she was in each movie. Like, weapons expert. Creator of life. Like, so it was a really neat... It was one of my favorite reflections. Mm-hmm. So, but, oh, also one more thing, because we mentioned it very early on, I just want to say it real quick, the numbers. Uh, in case people aren't aware, those numbers that were the coordinates were pretty much the big deal of how they defeated Khan. It was the security, the security codes, yeah. the access codes to the USS Reliant. It was the Reliant. Yeah, the Reliant. Yes, in Wrath of Khan. Yes. That was now the coordinates for the vengeance in this movie. Yeah, and that was actually, I, I would say, what was supposed to be the most tense scene in, in Wrath of Khan, where Kirch is like, 23. And it's like this big dramatic, and in retrospect, it's not, because it's, it's, uh, it's what's-his-face, but um, Shatner, and, and, and he's like, yeah, 46. 11. And then it's just the whole thing. But anyway, I, I just really appreciate it. What was it. the third one again? 46. What? She's making fun of you for knowing it. Um, no, that was actually um, a reference that Scotty was like, uh, are you writing it? Oh, yeah, what was the third one? I forgot about that. Yeah, what was the third one again? A lot of good jokes in yeah, the movie. Yeah. I mean, it did have a darker tone in general, but there's still a lot of good jokes. Probably not as many as the first one, but that's yeah. not really a problem for me. Is there any other major cast member we're forgetting? There was weird robot dude. Who I believe is the Observer from Fringe. I believe that is Michael Cervais. I can see that. I looked him up on IMDb. He is not credited for either Star Trek movie. I I kept looking but at him being very closely, Abrams, that could be, and it yeah. looked just like him. And it would make sense for him not to be credited in it. What if everything's an Abrams verse? Yeah, they all got Slusho and yeah. all those things in them. But uh, but they all have observers. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be cool. What did you think of the opening sequence on the volcano planet with the indigenous species? I thought it was what? What is so funny? Baby was a little cute. That baby was weird. That was a weird baby. Um, it, it's interesting you said that it, the 3D was on in post-production. Yes. Because I didn't know that, and I'm like, oh, look, they're throwing spears. What a cheap 3D There was trip. a couple of those, but they were not... They were done a little bit differently than your classic, like, 60s, 70s, you know, poke something out at the screen to yeah. they look at 3D. They were... Not done so directly. One was there was one or direct, two when Bones was running right but the at you. Way, but the way they shot it, the angles they shot it from, it was still off to the side a little bit. That one yeah. spear was just off to the side. So it wouldn't have that weird effect when you were watching it on a 2D screen of this feels weird. Obviously yeah. this was supposed to be 3D. They found a happy medium, I thought, between That's fair. look, things are coming at you, but the scene isn't photographed in a way that doesn't make sense for, for a two-dimensional image. Yeah. Other than that, I thought the sequence was good. I mean, yeah, Prime Directive. You know, I thought that was... I liked I liked the cryobomb. 
Yeah. I liked, you know, that whole effect. You know, Spock in the in the volcano. I thought that was all pretty cool. The makeup on the indigenous species was a little weird, but I didn't it didn't bother me and it's certainly better than a lot of Star Trek makeup. I, I, I think overall they they made it much more alien than Star Trek ever was. And that was I think Star Trek's main failing was you know, the aliens were, were was the aliens, period. I mean, one of the, the most important species in Deep Space Nine had butts on their head. <laughs> like, the Ferengi were the dumbest thing in the world. And so, like, that was always, I think, the weakest part of Star Trek. Which I thought that was interesting. In this movie, you only see two non-humanoid creatures the entire film. And they're both in the opening. You have the beast that Kirk and Bones are supposed to ride on, and you have a fish out the window of the Enterprise. Yeah. And I just thought it was interesting that it was the only non-bipedal creatures you see the entire film, and they're both there in the first five minutes. That is true. That and is where, true. Wait, as in, start, in, in, the, in 2009 Star Trek, there was, they were sprinkled out a little bit. I think yeah. mostly on the ice planet is where you saw them. Yeah, but I mean, that's the other thing. There wasn't much planet stuff. There wasn't like, oh, we're going on this abandoned... Like, Everything in this movie was either human or... You was, get to see one Klingon. You yeah. get to see with the face of one it was. Klingon. It was. All it was mostly on the ship, on yeah. Earth, like which you know, does not bother me. Yeah, it's but just, that just doesn't make a lot of space. There for was it. the cantina scene with Scotty and his and the weird like lizard people that their tongues shot out. And yeah, and there were yeah. different different species on the Enterprise, of course. Oh yeah, and then the, during the uh, the meeting of the uh, Admiral and everyone, there was the one the guy that looked just like a predator. I'm like, zoom in on his face. He looks like a predator. I want to see it. Zoom in hands. Zoom yeah. in hands. That scene, uh, we're getting, this is going to be a long double oh, episode. What is it? Chaney will be happy. Shout out, Chaney. Hi, Chaney. Um, obviously, at this point, we know J.J. Abrams, who directed 2009 Star Trek and mm. Star Trek Into Darkness, will be the director of Star Wars Episode Seven. Yep. Um, which I'm excited about. I think that's quite good. Yeah. So, with that knowledge walking into the movie theater, I think I was a little more attuned to a certain a couple things where I was like, oh, that's in that's his Star Wars right there. That is him testing, can I do a Star Wars scene in this movie? And, and I'll give you the specific um, examples, actually. One was, not one I caught, but I saw it online, somebody pointed out, and it was true, and it's that when the birds of prey are following the little saucer ship, yeah. which looks like the Millennium Falcon, which, was, bit, yeah. which was Harry Mudd's ship. Did you catch that reference? You told me about that. Yeah. They mentioned Harry Mudd, they mentioned the Tribbles. There was a number of little callbacks that were cool. And and that means in the third movie there's going to be a Trouble with Tribbles thing. They're definitely... No, I think Tribbles happened between the two movies. That's what really? they were saying. Was And possibly on Earth is actually... And I think there's okay. a comic tie-in that actually... In case people aren't aware, Tribbles are just literally balls of fuzz. I mean, if you saw the movie... They're you know, fuzzy sea urchins that reproduce each, really fast. Each series has had a Trouble with Tribbles episode, I believe. I believe um, so. Where basically they... They're rabbits, basically, and they just start pouring out everywhere, and they're just everywhere. No, they, they pretty much are. You're making a, a disgusted face, but there's just, like, hundreds of them everywhere. It's not disgusted. It's creeped out. I'm, like, going to be covered in tribbles. And yeah. Like that. They're, they're like Furbies that all they do is vibrate. Like... I actually have a question. So, Abrams isn't secured for three, right? No, although he said he would like to do it. Yeah. All right. Do you think that because like there is a little bit of uncertainty that that's how why and how he ended it the way he did because if he was doing three he would have brought Kirk back probably in a better developed way. So, but this because there's uncertainty he he wanted to finish out that storyline how he wanted to. Being that Kirk is human and not Vulcan or half Vulcan like Spock. I don't think there is a way they could have brought him back in the third that would have been any better than this. Like, this was immediate and theoretically based on some type of science. What they could have done is what they did in 
Well, basically, there was an episode, I believe it was TNG, where they found people that had been locked in to basically floating in uh, transition period between... Um, Life and death? Well, pretty much. They were just transported. It stopped. Oh, okay. And I that was actually a direction I thought they could have taken that. Or, like, quick, put them on the transporter and let them float there for or a little put while. them in one of the freezing pods. Well, that's true, too. Well, but. like, they could have ended it without, like, doing, like, a lot of scene of rushing, like a flip a year ahead kind of thing. Ended it where he was put into, the, like, the freeze chamber or whatever to stop the brain damage. And then never had the Trimble scene. And you kind of allude to it, the healing of the daughter. And then you inject, oh, it seems to have regenerative power. And like just have alluding to it, but never actually doing it in the second. And then possibly doing it in the third and starting off That's that true. way. I think that that would be a little better developed time-wise and less rushed. Yeah. And, and if you end on a poignant note, people are going to be like, what the heck, I want to see the third. I think if he so. wasn't coming or back... Yeah. Honestly, I think he would have left her dead if he wasn't coming back. As more of a, exactly. hey, whoever's coming up next, see what you can do with this. Oh, okay. uh, that's no, that's, that's not my personality. Like, I was but okay. uh, your persuasion is perfectly reasonable as well. But to go back to my Star Wars point real quick, before I forget, that scene, the, the chase through Kronos, felt like the Death Star run, particularly the second Death Star run in that's Revenge right. of the Sith, mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi, rather. Also, the death of Captain, or Admiral Pike. Yeah. That was straight out of Star Wars. From the music to the lighting to the way it was framed was the Darth uh, Vader funeral pyre mixed with Luke contemplates the twin sons on Tatooine in the beginning of A New Hope. The the lighting, the way everything was framed, that was those two. There was a couple other minor things. I was like, oh, that would work in Star Wars. But if he can get that same feel that he got in those places, I think he has OG Star Wars, the feel of it, nailed down. And so as long as the script is solid... Yeah, it depends. Are, are they If they're doing 7, 8, 9, or what they're doing. Right, but I mean, Abrams has proven himself in Super 8 or in Star Trek to be able to mimic a visual style yeah. pretty perfect. Now, granted, there are three different directors for the original Star Wars trilogy, but they do feel very similar visually. And I think he yeah. will bring us that, that, that look and feel. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Super 8, which is another point that I wanted to bring up. Is he did he did a lot of super eating, which is talking, talking, talk, explosion. Like, okay, all right, all right, cool. Talking, talking, talk, another explosion. Like, it, it, where it caught me off guard a couple times, and like Super Eight did, which is something I actually liked in Super Eight. You know, oh, we're kids walking down the hallway, tank. Like, you know, it was <laughs> it was really good in that you really don't expect it. And it was a good misdirection, but I noticed he did that several times. And I'm like, oh, you're doing that more often. You're going to do that in Star Wars too. But yeah, so I just... I f- feel like Star Wars had a couple of those, though. I don't think it was as jarring, though. I don't know. I don't mind it, honestly. Yeah. I like that kind of thing. I, I like it occasionally. You yeah. know, explosions don't wait for lulls in conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so it does feel more real. It's just weird to see in a movie because we're so used to seeing it in a weird way. Yeah. Well, especially the way Super 8 did it because it was in a very, like, you know, this is a very serious conversation. We're having it very intensely and it's very important. Dang! <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> It was it was good, but it was just rough. So, do you have anything else to say about Star Trek Into Darkness? Um, I mean, I'm assuming if you are listening to this, you've seen it, so I can't tell you to go see it. I mean, but check out Wrath of Khan. Check out um, how did you watch uh, Space Seed? They're both on Netflix. Both on Netflix. Yeah. So yeah, I'd go check that out. Yeah, and like I said, I enjoyed this movie so much until that that two percent of yeah. it. But 
I still think it's generally positive. It's just that does color a lot of the rest of the movie for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, so that's it for our Star Trek Into Darkness discussion. Stick around, and right after this, we will go back in time to when we recorded we'll our Iron Man 3 discussion, and we hope you enjoy that as well. That is also full spoilers. Yeah. Let's talk some Iron Man 3. Yes, obviously spoilers as the major disclaimer. Yeah, normally you wouldn't think you'd have to talk spoilers for an Iron Man movie, but this is the first of the three that has a significant story twist in it. I mean, yeah, I think it's pretty significant. Let's put it this way. A significant story twist that you wouldn't have guessed from the comics. Like some of the others, like you expect Obadiah Stane... He's going to go bad. You expect just now oh, yeah. he's going to go bad. But there was twists in this movie that, especially if you know the comics, you're really not going to expect. That's true. That's very true. And even even some of the smaller side stuff, what happens with some of the main characters, you're just like, oh, okay. Should we just start off by talking about our overall impressions of it, I guess? Sure. Um, I saw it, not opening night, I saw it the day after. Okay. I went with my sister, and people have probably already heard the review she and I did. Uh, well, I, I kind of kept my opinion out of it as much as yeah. possible, because I wanted to save it for here. Yeah. But I enjoyed it quite a bit. At the time, I was like, I think it's my favorite of the three, and now, what is it, a week or so later? I, yeah, they're about uh, A little say. bit over a week later. I still think it's my favorite of the three. I need to go back and watch one. I about say, I, had them th- I think I saw two maybe one time back when it first came out, but that's about it. Yeah, but so. I think I think it's my favorite. What about you? I don't know, how would you rate them in general? I would go probably 3-1-2. Three, one, three, one. Yeah, I think this is something we'll, we'll get into, but I, I really enjoyed number three. And one of my biggest things about movies is, is there any point in, t- any point in time when it takes me out of the movie-watching experience? Where I pull back and say, whatever. And this didn't do it until the last, I think, couple minutes when I pulled back and said, wait a minute, why is any of this happening? <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. O- overall, though, I, I was definitely impressed. I thought it had, I thought the detail was a lot more paid attention to, for lack of a better phrasing of that sentence, than the the first two. And so in that regard, I Definitely think it was it was much better. I thought the fight sequences were much more intricate than either of the first two, and I thought they did all of that very well. Um, the banter was great and everything. Um, the story wise, I thought it was a little bit weak. I think I I, th- I think the first one probably was I'd say the best story driven one. I think this one was more action driven than the others, but. I mean, I probably disagree with that, but I think there's definitely room for debate. It's yeah. not like it's cl- clearly one oh, or yeah, the other. Yeah. So I think I think I could safely agree with your three one two, um, but maybe just not as strong of a you know gap maybe. As and that. I don't dislike one or two oh, yeah, at yeah. all. It's just you know if I had to rank, oh it, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. my favorite. So, um, but yeah, so so that was my overall impression. Um, can I, can I break down what I meant by the? Uh, the why is any of this happening? Go right ahead. Um, it, it was. I think it was towards the end, and I'm like, wait, what? How did they get to this point? Oh, because they took Pepper. Why did they take Pepper? Oh, because they needed Stark. Because he threatened them, and then he almost killed them. Why did he threaten them? Oh, because Happy got hurt. Oh, why did Happy got hurt? Oh, because he stuck his nose where it didn't belong. And it really it hit me that this entire movie happened. Because some fat security guard 
didn't mind his own business and had to like poke <laughs> his nose where it didn't belong. And this started this whole comedy of errors snowball effect that was the entire driving plot of the movie. It's, well, I mean, I would say Tony's involvement partially, yes, was expediated by Happy. Yeah. However, they already needed Tony because they thought he was the only person who could finalize the extremist formula and keep people from exploding. That's, okay, and that's that, fair. That, was, that goes all the way back to 1999. Yeah, that, all right, that is fair. I will give you that one. But, yeah, it was just like, if Happy had just gone home, none of this would have happened. Well, the Chinese theater would have still gotten blown up. Yeah. More people probably would have gotten blown up. The president would have died. Things would have gotten worse. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I think... Obviously, this is neither here nor there, but then at the same time, Tony Stark's house would have still been around. Mark 1 through whatever would have still been there. You know, so. And he still wouldn't be able to sleep. He'd still have PTSD. Well, that's true. He'd still have the panic attack. There would be some poor kid in the middle of Tennessee, you know, not having a family and being miserable for his entire life. Yeah. Mostly because he didn't have high speed internet. Well, that's really yeah, what it comes down to. <laughs> uh, you know, but his sister would still have a watch. So, you know, it's, it's a give and take there. So, all that being said, Jordan, what what's your take on that bit? Well, I, I kind of came back with it during the conversation, but I think if he didn't get involved, which I think he still would have, simply because, like I said, they needed that formula from him, Yeah, um, things would have just been worse in the end. Like I said, the president gets killed, Yeah, Man's Chinese Theater, or, or Grauman's, whatever it is now, currently uh, gets blown up, Yeah, and probably more people explode, so. Yeah. Including, like, everybody in that town in Tennessee... Had he not been there to... Oh, granted, he could have made that worse, technically, too. Yeah. When, uh, what's her name, Brant showed up and, and tried to get... Tried to get the, 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 the documents, the, the documents, files. Yeah. I forget her first name, but she's actually... She's actually a... a f- I won't say well-known Marvel character, but she's an extant, extant Marvel character. Is she? Um, she or not. Uh, she might actually be dead. I'm not sure if she's a stand or not. But she, she is a previously existing Marvel character. She is the wife slash girlfriend, depending on which version you're going with, of uh, the the man thing, oh, who worked? F- she worked for AIM. She sabotaged his project. He turned in Mandy. Yeah. So even like her scars match the character in the book. Okay, yeah. So that I'll... was kind of a cool little. You have to really know Marvel continuity. I didn't know it off the top yeah. of my head. Somebody pointed it out to me. Oh, can I say that was you mentioned AIM, and that was my biggest pet peeve in the movie. There was not one person in an obnoxious yellow outfit. Okay, throughout the entire movie. The moment he mentioned Aim in the beginning, I'm like, I'm going to watch. And they're, they're going to put one dude in a yellow outfit somewhere in this movie. In the beekeeping division? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something. There's going to be a dude in a yellow outfit. And there wasn't. I'm like, come on, really? Like, you even had Stan Lee doing his regular appearance. But you couldn't, you know, work in one yellow costume? I would say this is probably not the last we have seen of Aim. Oh, and when they come not. back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe... That's where, when they're really taking center stage, that's where you can use uh, aim and the, the, yeah. a helmet in the background yeah. or something, some version of that. I mean, even Hickman in his Fantastic Four run and his current Avengers run, he loves using aim. Oh, yeah. And well, granted, he's not doing the art, despite the fact yeah. that he, he can do art very well. Um, he's not doing it in the books, but it's clear that either by his decision or Marvel editorial, the the beehiveness yeah. of the helmets is shrinking. They're they're getting oh, yeah. they're getting much more head sized. Yeah. Just way. a little bit. So they don't look nearly as ridiculous. Yeah. And and uh, side note, have you read Avengers Eleven yet? Not yet, no. Aim's involved and it's a hilarious issue with tons of great I know a lot of okay. people complain that Hickman doesn't do character work. Oh yeah, you mentioned that this before. This issue yeah. is nonstop character work for Shang Chi, Cannonball, Sunspot, Black Widow uh, Captain Marvel and another. There's somebody else. I don't forget off the top of my head. Oh, Jessica uh, 
Spider Woman. Okay. So all of them get a bunch of character work, hmm, and it's good. a really funny issue. Good. But going back to yeah, okay, if I can rerun, there's actually a point I want to make about between aim and you mentioning that thing about uh, brand with a brand brand. Okay, mentioning all it's like that Emily Brand or something. They did a Erica lot brand. with Mar- mentioning Marvel continuity. Uh, between those two, I didn't even know about the the Brant thing. They mentioned Hydra, or at least what's her name running it at one point. Either the, or I'm crazy, but they mentioned what's her name that runs it. That runs Hydra. What's the chick's name? She's like in charge of Hydra right now. No, I, I don't have the slightest idea you're talking about. There are several female characters in like the Hydra mm. ruling council: Viper, Lady uh, Lady Hydra, I think was her name. No, I can't remember her name, but they mentioned someone. I'm like, she's totally in charge of Hydra. I'm glad they mentioned that. Uh, I, I, I didn't pick up on uh, but Or the, the you know the big one, uh, Roxham Oil. Uh, Roxon, Roxon it was in, it's actually been in all three. Has it? In okay. the background, usually, I think, like in the, in the um, IndyCar race in the second yeah. one, one of the cars is sponsored by Roxon. Um, it's on the side of a building in okay. another one. Which, which I mean, what, what ends up happening with that accountant? You know, when, when, uh... When he doesn't get shot? Well, when, uh, the Mandarin's like, you know, by all accounts, he's probably a good guy. I'm like, he works for rocks, and I highly doubt he's a good individual. Like, there's not a decent human being that works there. And but I'm I, like, in the real world, where there's some ambiguity, in, yeah. in the Marvel Universe, the Roxxon Corporation is just... They're your, your, they're, they're your number one stand-in when you need a purely evil corporation. Yep, pretty who's much. not actively, like, supervillains, like, in terms of, like, yeah. AIM or Hydra. And they do sometimes cross that line. Well, but, yeah, like like in Scarlet Spider, when they hired the whatever. Yes, but or, yeah. generally, they're just, uh, you know... They're just jerks. Stereotypical evil company Yeah, or exactly. Um, so that, that was in there. I mean, there was a several references to other things in Marvel continuity. I would say it was less overt and... I don't know if scene-stealing is the right word, but they didn't focus on it. Like, yeah. that was one of my problems with Iron Man 2, which, again, I did not hate, but it was, you know, oh, we need to spend a bunch of minutes with uh, Black Widow, we need to spend a bunch of minutes with yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D., and while some of it was in service of the main story, a lot of it was side things, setting up Thor, setting up Avengers, setting yeah. up Cap. And while that's interesting and the comic book fan in me goes, this is great from a story perspective, a narrative perspective, it gets in the way. It detracts from the overall picture. Whereas in this one, yes, there were several plot lines going along. You had Pepper's plot, Tony's, Happy's, at least in the beginning and the end. But yeah. they were all in service of a singular central story thread, which which I really appreciated how Shane Black, who, who co-wrote and directed the movie, how he and whoever he co-wrote it with, which off the top of my head I can't remember, they really made sure to, hey, we're going to have these other things that reference Marvel continuity, AIM and Brandt and yeah. uh, Roxxon and all these things, but they're not the focus. They're they're a, I mean, AIM is oh, more they're, focus, they're purely auxiliary. But yeah. we don't need to go into the, you know, the books of AIM and find out all the companies they own yeah. and all the different things. It's all in service of this story, which was not about Iron Man as much as it was about Tony Stark, who, quote, becoming, is Iron Man. Becoming Iron Man. But it's, yeah. it's all about him, and I really appreciated that. I know some people complain, oh, he's not in the armor enough. For me, seeing him MacGyver his way through situations... Yeah, I, that was, was literally the term I thought, too. I'm like, oh, he's MacGyvering. But, I mean, it's not out of character for him. As oh, the yeah. quote from the first movie, Tony Stark built, Tony Stark built one of these in a freaking cave with scraps. Yeah, know, exactly. It's a paraphrase, but yeah, it's enough. still, it's, this is the kind of stuff that, at least in the movie universe, I'm not as familiar with the comics, that's how Tony Stark is, and just so to see him, um, and I talk about this in the other show, but 
my favorite armor was armor Mark 43, if you will, or the Assassin's Creed armor. The I bought some stuff at Home Depot. Oh, I'm gonna okay. Make it awesome, and I thought that was fantastic. I absolutely love that, and how that transitioned into the one gauntlet, one boot fight. That yeah. whole sequence that, beginning, that, yeah. end, I was like, "This is just this is what I want to see him doing." I'm fine with him yeah. in the suit, but when it's really servicing the character and it's really just bringing out new facets of yep. who he is and cementing those facets and making them interesting. That's awesome. That's what I want yeah. to see. And it, it, I really, I think that was the highlight fight for me. More than the climactic fight at the end. More than anything else. That was my favorite fight. Which was the end battle was cool. Oh, it was but, definitely cool. But I think that that was so different from everything. Or so used to seeing the suit fighting blank. Yeah. Like, this was so different and still him and still had the witty banter, you know, that he's good at. And then I think that's what made it the perfect fight for me. And, and finally, an Iron Man movie where it's not robots punching robots the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Now they're just punching sort of dragon people. Well, like, in this case, it was biology versus technology, which yeah. was very neat. And even, you know, you brought up that final fight scene, and this this will just go back to cement my, my point from a few minutes ago about everything being in service of the story. Even in the way those action scenes were directed at the end, which, which you were saying you like the yeah. action choreography, you've got... 30-some-odd suits flying around. I I think it was over 30. And all different ones, they all get a little bit of a moment to shine, but for the most part, even though they're all there, they're in the background, and you were focusing Mm -hmm. on Tony, and to a lesser extent, Rhodey and the villains. And and Pepper, Pepper, yeah. But mostly Tony, you're focusing on him, you've got stuff going on in the background, but the focus of the camera, the focus of the the audience, is on him. And I thought that was, that kind of just really exemplifies the things I liked about this movie is the yeah. focus on the character, the focus on him and not just robots punching robots. Yeah. Now, if I can hover on that robots punching robots point real quick. Okay. <laughs> which suit was your favorite? Uh, well, like I said, 43. Okay, besides besides 43, of, of the suits that were in the last fight. There was a cool one with impact hammers on the arm. I don't know the name that of it. That was interesting, it yeah. wasn't, There was a lot of them that they had spot given the spotlight on the internet before the movie came out, like they would release a one sheet with it, with a little, you know, it's Mark number, it's nickname, Heartbreaker, Igor. Hulkbuster, yeah. Which was was Igor. This one wasn't one of those. So I don't know if it's because, oh, cool, this is something new, or it's just I really liked the design of it. Yeah. that, it's hard for me to say there was a lot of cool stuff. That was really neat. I also liked the um, the space armor, which was uh, spotlighted. I don't really remember seeing it in the movie so much, like a a good close-up on it, but... I liked the white and silver and yellow and blue design. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think I, I, think I saw scheme. that before, yeah. There was one, and I didn't get a clear sh- look at it, but it was blue, primarily. Oh, the stealth armor, I think is that. No, the, the one that split and attacked. Oh, that came apart and... Yeah. Okay. I didn't, I didn't fully catch what that was, but I thought it was interesting, just the design of it and how it kept kind of like splitting apart and all that. So, I mean, my assumption for that one, I guess, is that it's either designed to be a drone... Or it's like yeah. the mark right before the one he was like forty one or something. Yeah, yeah that's and what that I was, was thinking. Also designed to come apart, and he just used it in an interesting way, which yeah. goes back to I really liked, and it was just a little moment. But when he gets trapped underwater, yeah, and the glove comes yeah. off and pulls him out, I was like, that's kind of brilliant. That is using his technology. And granted, this was, that was really Jarvis using. using it, the yeah, it wasn't using Tony's brain at yeah. that point, um, but it was still. 
using the things he designed in interesting ways, yeah. in ways we haven't seen before that's not just metal punching metal. Yeah, exactly. Which which I think that was the whole point of this one's not going to be metal versus metal, and I think they showed that in the whole biology versus, you know, technology thing, in just the emphasis on Tony and the characters themselves, you know, all of that. The fire-breathing, you know, villains, you know, all of those things. Aldrich Killian. Yep. Yeah, aim. Oh, aim. But anyway. Was it a disappointed aim or a longing aim? I'm not <laughs> yeah, really sure. There's no yellow suits. I want my yellow suits. Dang it. I want it. We'll get you a yellow suit. Here. Yes. Um, what about uh, Pepper in this movie? We talked a little bit about it before <laughs> we started recording because you were a fan of her abs. And I well, no. I, it was, it's, it's just I was surprised. I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, if you're, you're in a relationship with Tony Stark, you probably have all the best workout equipment. I was just surprised. I'm like, wow, you are really in shape. And... Okay, Pepper, okay, so, you know, the whole dramatic moment when she fell off into the fire, and then he has this emotional moment where, oh no, she fell, like, dude, she's immortal now, okay, like... Well, she explodes. Well, yeah, okay, there's <laughs> I that. I mean, there is that. There's the if she explodes, okay, but yeah, I mean, that was literally my first thought, and so it was a little... It destroyed the the climactic moment. Well, we talked about um, this on LOD, actually. That cliffhanger moment was ruined for me. All the tension was drained away because there's a shot of her coming out of the fire in the trailer. Oh, is there? And there was a couple moments like that. And I know that's not the guy. It's not the director's fault. It's, it's you know, it's yeah. other people make, cutting the trailers. But it still was disappointing to me that there was a couple moments where, supposed to be tension... But I already know how this scene resolves, or I already know that there is there are further shots with these actors in this location that haven't been shown yet. Which, granted, yeah. could be cut out of the movie, but you could tell contextually, no, they're going to be fine, because I know what comes next. More yeah. or less. Yeah. I don't know exactly how they're going to get there, I don't know what's going to happen after that, but I know she's not dead. Yeah. You know, immortality versus explosion or not. Yeah, well, and, and see, that's, that's one small pet peeve, is that the, the one character that going into the film was up in the air for me whether they were going to live or die. Uh, what's her name? The, the, the scientist who did end up dying. Uh, Re- oh, see, I get her real name and her character's name confused. Cause I don't know similar. either, so... I think the actress is Rebecca Hall, and the character is Maya Hill? Hayes? As Whatever, the plant lady. Maya. Plant lady. Yes. Okay. Very attractive so, brunette plant lady. Plant lady. He's British, I believe, actually. Well, she hit that well. Uh, <laughs> I thought you said hit at first. And oh, I was no, like, no. she hit that well. <laughs> she hit all the right British buttons. She hit all the, yeah. No, um, the, going in, other than the bad guy, I knew the bad guy was obviously going to die. Uh, the, but if she Well, was, except you probably thought it was going to be Mandarin. No. Well, we can get to that. In, yeah. In uh, she, going in, I, I thought, is the only character that I don't know if she's going to live or die. And when the time came when she did die... That was a cool scene, though, when she died. That whole, the build-up and the end... And well, see, I thought I thought it could have been bigger, because um, because to me, like I said, she's the only character, I don't know if she's going to die or not. And, and I thought they could have built that a little bit bigger, or a little bit more dramatic. Like, she had the thing to her neck... Yeah, which was, I thought that's part of what I'm including was, I thought was cool. Yeah, I, I mean, it was good, but I just thought they would have done it up a little bit more. Because, I mean, every character has the, are they going to make it out of this, you know, Tony had it, Pepper had it, you know, she had it. I just wasn't sure if she was going to 
For me, I liked it because in every in every situation like this, in a movie like this, where usually it's um, it's a little bit reversed. Like, let's say the hero has the gun yeah. and the villain's about to kill somebody, you know. And you, you think back to uh, of all movies, uh, Speed, where you <laughs> shoot the hostage, yeah. but but not that where you think. Just shoot the villain in the head the next time they point the gun in the opposite direction when they're gesturing wildly. Yeah. You know? And for me, it was nice to see that in this movie, it kind of undercut that constant standoff where there's no standoff. She threatens to kill herself. He shoots her in the head. Done. It was shocking and surprising. but yes. And and it undercut that normal nonsense that you get in the movies. I understand you wanted to see more of the character, but I still thought it was, if you're going to kill her off... That was a surprising and cool way to do it. And when you, when you look at it in that light, and that's more of an artistic, cinematic way of looking at it, I think you're right in that. I think that, that definitely... But as far as an emotional pull, it's not as powerful. At least okay. in my opinion. But I don't know that we they'd really given us enough about her character previously. That's the other to thing. emotionally invest. She's the previous love interest, you know. And, and the scientist. She, yeah. she's, she's means to an end plot-wise. Exactly. You know, exactly. An attractive means to an end, but she's a means to an end. Uh, As opposed to Pepper, who you are supposed to be emotionally invested in. And when she falls into the fire, whether you've seen the trailer or whether you think she's immortal, you're supposed to have some reaction, just like Tony did, of, yeah. oh no, especially because for comic fans like me, I believe she was, um, she had a, a traumatic spine injury for years in the comics, and was yeah. in a wheelchair, Where, and then I think she also used... Are you uh, sure you're not thinking of Barbara Gordon? No, 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 but I believe she also... The other redhead in a wheelchair in a comic book? She also used a, an Iron Man suit for a while under the name yeah. of the Rescue. Yes, and I because that was he, because her spine was because that's also how he proposed to her. He hired like, uh, like a ten thousand people to stand in a in a uh, huge empty space, spelling out "Will you marry me?" for an hour, <laughs> and he paid them all like a hundred dollars an hour, and they flew over, and so you just saw in hundreds and thousands of people just "Will you marry me?" I, I haven't read that issue, but so f- for me, I thought that was yeah. There was the comic book side of me, in addition to the moviegoer side of me, went. There's a chance she could, if not die, be seriously injured because of this. Yeah, that's Story-wise, right. and it would have fit. That it didn't happen doesn't bother me. That she walked away fine and got to kill the bad guy and give the great line of, well, that was surprisingly violent. <laughs> All cool with yeah. it. But, you know, it, had they decided to go in a different direction, that would have also worked. Because you are, hopefully, at that point, emotionally invested in her story, in Tony's story, in Rhodey's story, to a lesser extent. He's still got a lot to I, do, but yeah. this wasn't his story. Yeah, I would have actually liked to have seen a little bit more of Rhodey. I, I agree. I, I think he, he did bring a lot to the table, and it... And it, it it worked well. That said, there was already a lot of stuff going on in this movie. Yeah, oh, that's and wh- true. why I thought it was well-edited, well-paced, and I wasn't bored at any point. It wouldn't have taken much more extra stuff to, to cross that to line. Cr- totally, yeah. Which, um, we haven't talked... Well, we mentioned Tennessee, but we haven't talked about that whole section yet. Yeah. In most movies. Yeah. First off, it's a Christmas movie. Not a Christmas that's fan. That's the thing. That's the thing. Not a Christmas movie fan. Uh, it's probably taken over Die Hard, Die Hard Spot as the new best <laughs> Christmas movie. Yes. Um... Also, I thought that bunny was a dog for the longest time. They kept saying bunny. I'm like, what oh, bunny are you talking about? Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's supposed to be a bunny. It was it was odd. But so you take the Christmas part of it already, yeah. which wasn't played up too much. No, no, no. But then, I mean, that center portion of the film is probably the most Christmas section because you're yeah. in a small town, small yeah. town America. There's Christmas. He's Charlie there. Brown. and yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you add in a kid. You know I hate kids. Yes. In general. 
So already, that's the point where I go, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Sidekick time. I love that was the point where in almost any other movie, even take away the kid and the Christmas, yeah. that's the point where a lot of movies, you're like, oh, here's the boring 20 minutes. Yeah. No. I, it, and it wasn't just that there was action in there, but I, I love that kid. I loved the interaction between him and Tony. I loved, again, Tony having to deal with things without the armor, going a little bit more MacGyver slash Batman in terms yeah. of actually figuring stuff out. It's a portion that could have failed miserably, but worked really well. And yeah. I think that, again, goes to the editing and the pacing. This movie had a lot going on, but even when something didn't totally work, and there were some things where you'd go, you scratch your head a little bit and go, yeah. in retrospect, well, why was that? And, and and you can work most of them out later, actually, if you really think about it. Most yeah. of those people who claim their plot holes in this movie actually aren't. They're just very subtle. But it was the way it was edited and the, and the pace it had, the flow it had, that even if this line or this moment didn't work, you're already on to the next one, and it probably was That's work. That's true. The pacing so of you, that You had already forgotten about the little thing that didn't totally work because you're already on to something awesome that yeah. had the whole theater laughing. Like his entire mental breakdown. Uh, that didn't have the theater laughing so <laughs> No, 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 it didn't, but I'm saying that that's the part that kind of bugged me, and then it moved on. And how did it bug you? Uh, it, okay, uh, and this is just might be my understanding of stuff. It's it was kind of an underlying theme throughout the entire movie. He can't sleep. That he has PTSD. PTSD, the anxiety attacks. From, from the entire he, Avengers he, he thing. He essentially died a few months before this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Had to fight aliens, go to another universe, kind of go to the other side of the universe. Yes, jump through, blew it up. You know, and, and monsters. And, and my problem is not with him having PTSD, but he, in the beginning of the movie, he's he's coping by building. And he's shutting out everyone else from around him, and he's and this is how he's coping. And then you kind of get the sense he hasn't left his workshop, exactly, or at least his house in like a long time, exactly. And so he finally realizes that that's not the answer, and he needs to get away from that. He goes and meets. Well, he doesn't his, have a choice. His house well, yeah, actually, well, that I mean, that's true. I mean, he, he he then he gets away. He talks to this kid. He starts making some progress. He has another incident outside of the car. He has, I think, three. He has the one in the in the bar with Rhodey and when the little kid that starts asking about yeah. New York. He has another one early on with the kid near the bomb site, and then yes. he has the third and one then the it, in the I car. I think those are the three. Yes, uh, but specifically with the car, what bugged me is the kid's like, well, can't you just build something? And then he goes right back to his coping mechanism, and the movie portrays that in a positive light. And that's just kind of what bugged me is that his solution for his PTSD in that moment is going back to the thing that he was trying to get away from the entire beginning of the movie. While, I, I'd, while I'd agree that it's in that moment he yeah. does, by the end of the movie, he has un, he's realized that it, the obsession is what's driving, in many ways, the, the negative effects of the PTSD. It's, it's prolonging it, and it's making the actual... Uh, events worse because he's shutting it out for so long that when it does catch up to him, he can't handle it. And I think by the end of the movie, with him removing the arc reactor and giving That's away fair. all the stuff okay. that he has figured, he's figured out what he needs to do to come to terms with the way the world has changed, the way he has changed, and and how he's going to have to just handle those things. Yeah, you know. All right, that's fair. Without that's having fair. the crutch of the armor to lean on. Yeah. Which he's going to just build another one anyway, but... Possibly. I mean, I would not be surprised to see him in Avengers 2 outside the armor the whole film, or most of the film. I don't think they'll do that simply from a marketing standpoint. I think he would be in it. 
and I think the Iron Man armor might be in it, maybe with yeah. Rhodey wearing it, maybe as a drone, but I could see him in more of a Nick Fury-type role. Maybe robot from Invincible kind of thing? Possibly, or building things for other people. Okay. Bu- building tech for Cap and, and whoever the else. The Shield Corps and all that stuff. Or working on tactics with Rocket Raccoon. Or I mean, we don't know who the Guardians is going to be in the movie, but working, you know, working tactics or planning or doing something a little bit more... Like, the Cap movie is going to be more of a 70s spy thriller, Cap 2. Yeah, 70s? That, in that, it's going to be done in that in style. In that style. Yeah. Sort of like how this that, movie was... I wish it would be like a 70s Kung Fu movie, because that would be even better. <laughs> kind of like how this one was a very 80s throwback buddy yeah. cop movie in many ways. Buddy cop, yeah. It really was. Whether oh, it's yeah. him with Rhodey or him and the yeah, kid. Yeah, Rhodey rocks, all caps, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is not surprising, because... The guy who wrote and directed this, co-wrote and directed this, also did uh, the Lethal Weapon movies. Oh, did he? He, okay. he wrote them. Okay. He co- co-wrote, co-wrote them. Cop buddies. But, so I could see once that Cap movie has done the spy thing, and Cap's going to be in, in Avengers, presumably much like he was in in yeah. Cap t- uh, in, in Avengers 1, maybe you have Tony take a little bit more of that undercover role. I just have him being doing something as Tony Stark using his brain more than Iron Man using his metal punching metal. I think... Alright, so I will say this real quick and we'll get back to the, I, to I, the movie. W- I would not be upset if he is in the Iron Man... I'm, yeah, the no, no, yeah. I think it could work with I him. think... I, my point is that I agree with you. I think that could work given the the character development, but from a... Like I said, from a simple marketing, from a toy marketing standpoint, you are selling Iron Man, not selling Tony Stark. While that's true, I think there's going to be so many characters in Avengers 2... Well, but that's the other between thing. Between everybody who's already there, Pim, Silver and, and Scarlet Witch. Are, are confirmed? That, pretty much, yeah. Okay. They're going to be in there. Um, ooh, ooh, maybe they somehow get X-Men back and then they work in the whole... If they do the If they do the Ultimates route, they're just separate. Oh, yeah, because it's the Ultimate Universe. It's it? closer. Well, um, it, isn't the Ultimate Universe modeled after this pretty much, like Nick Fury and all that jazz? Vice versa. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Movies are, are more based on this, the the... Ultimate Universe, but there's a lot of 616 in there as well. It's not one or the other. But whatever Guardians happen to show up, whether Thor brings in as Guardians for this whatever's going down in Avengers 2. Well, they have to because Thanos. You can have so much other stuff that if you just have... And and you've seen even before this movie, granted this movie had a lot of different Iron Man armor toys, but that's because they were all in there. But even Iron Man 1 and 2 had a ton of different Iron Man armors weren't in the film. You can still sell those Iron Man toys. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you can go to the store right now and buy the Hulkbuster or buy the, you know... Buy them all. Well, you can buy they're releasing a lot of waves. You can yeah. buy some of them and the others yeah. eventually. But all right, so let's let's we're 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 getting really down the rabbit hole real quick. Um, <laughs> so let's let's go back and I think talk about the last piece of the movie that we haven't discussed. I think that's the villain, the Mandarin, the Mandarin, which um, both Mandarins. <laughs> yeah, uh, did you call that when? How? What gave it away? No, I I thought they were going the uh, ethnically nondescript jumble of terrorism tropes terrorist and I okay. thought he was doing a good job is that I was I, I, I say think he's doing good it sounds like I'm downplaying it Ben Kingsley did a fantastic job in both facets of his character as yeah. the Mandarin and as Trevor which we're going to talk about in a second I'm sure um, but I thought the Mandarin had they just gone with that version of the Mandarin the whole film would have worked fine yeah. I really liked what they eventually did with yeah. him though I thought that was cool I did not call it until I mean I called it before he said it yeah. Like, before he explicitly said to Tony, this is what's going on. Before he walked out of the bathroom saying, oh, you not, might well not want to go in there for 20 minutes. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in that time, I was like, 
oh, I get it, and that's awesome. Yeah. Nobody saw this coming. Okay. Well, I'm sure there's there's always somebody who saw it coming. I mean, yeah. But in I, general... My, my bit was, I didn't call that. Like, I, it wasn't all like, he is going to be a ploy. But the moment that Tony was walking around saying, mm, Mandarin, advisor to the king, you know, I'm like, okay, that either means... A, they're going to set up for a bigger villain in the next movie, or B, he's not as he appears and there's someone else, which makes sense given how much emphasis they're giving to um, Aim Dude over... Aldridge Killian. Yeah, Aldridge over anyone else. And so those were kind of my two tracks. I didn't know which direction. I, I mean, I always kind of assumed they were going to be separate but equal villains, if you will. They were both going to be uh, big okay. bads, probably working together. Okay. Um, so, th- I mean, it, it didn't surprise me that Guy Pierce had such a big role. Yeah. That was exactly what I was expecting, pretty much. I just didn't expect Kingsley's role to not really end so quickly, but take the turn it did. Yeah. Again, I was super happy with it. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't even say end quickly, because I think he got as much screen time after the reveal as he did before. He, I didn't think he got that much. In that scene, maybe? After that, I think you only see him one time. Well, that's like, what I mean. From, from the moment you find out who he really is on versus what he was as the master, I think it's about equal in, in that That's show. true, because he's not really in the movie a whole lot before that. His his yeah. scenes are very memorable, but they're short. Yes. Um, and there are a number of them, but they're like in between other things. Yeah. And then he has that really long scene as Trevor, which exactly. is fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, why didn't you press the brownie point? Although well, it's situated, but I took care of it. And he just opens the soap. And yeah, he he was delightful as that character. And it was it was good. And I really loved when Killian went to explain exactly how he came up with this. Because you got to think a little bit about the history of the Mandarin as a character. Yeah. Okay? So, Racism. Well, I mean, in retrospect, absolutely. You will yes. get no argument on that for me. It's a very racist character to trope. Oh, yeah. Yellow Panic. You know, the Fu Manchu-style character. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, communism, they might make a share. <laughs> you know, whatever. I, I, I understand, as as ridiculous as it was in hindsight, the Cold War and that kind of fear was real. Oh yeah. As ridiculous as we might find it today, in modern times, it did exist and it was real. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, really yeah. did affect people. So, the Mandarin as this character was a easy villain trope for the creators at Marvel. And that's not to put them down, but they went, hey, what are people afraid of at this point in time? Foreigners. Nazis aren't really around anymore. Let's use uh, evil Chinese communist villain. Okay, that works because people are super afraid of that now. And when they first announced the Mandarin was going to be used, the pretty much universal uh, reaction from comic fans was, really? Like... (laughs) You want to go there? You want to touch that? There were some people who really wanted to see the Mandarin, but I think most people realize (sighs) this is going to... You're going to have to really change this character so he's not just a really offensive stereotype. Like, the only thing I think of when I think of the Mandarin is the Robot Chicken Iron Man sketch. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I think I have, Um, but I don't remember. Where the two guards people are talking about how great it is to work for the Mandarin, and then you hear, thud, 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 and, and they're like... What's that? They're like, it's Iron Man. He's trying to sneak in through the ducks. That's a new one. Right? And so he ends up crashing through and there's a big explosion and everything. At the end, the Mandarin just walks in and goes, you clean up now. You clean this up. (laughs) And just walks away. And like, that is the quintessential 
image of what I have of the Mandarin, and I think that's pretty spot on of what of the racism that's been blatant in that character right. for years. And then you add on top of that ten magic rings, which yes, they're based on alien technology, and you can kind which of I was surprised none of that tied in because I thought with the direction they're going with cosmic and Thanos, I thought they would at least touch on that, especially given showing that he had those rings, right? On. Uh, I mean, and again, it didn't bother me because I think that oh, would have yeah. been just another thing to lay on. It would have been movie. so complicated. But so you take you you take really racist stereotype, add in ten magic rings. Suddenly, you've got a lot of stuff you don't really want to eat on your plate. Yeah. And so when they made him more of a, in, in, and I'm talking in the marketing here. Yeah. And how he was marketed in the movie proper, like actually yeah. within the scope of the movie, he is a much more diverse, you know, ethnically nondescript. Yeah. But he's got a little bit of classic Mandarin, he's got a little bit of Osama Bin Laden, he's got Which, a little bit of Castro, yeah. he's got a little bit of every, I don't want to say generic villain, but real-world terrorism. Things yeah. that people are afraid of today. And maybe in the future we look back and, and, you know, maybe 60 years from now we look back and go, really, they were afraid of that? Or maybe we don't. Yeah. But the point is, these are the things today many people have very real fear about. Yes. So when it's revealed... Well, now, the, can I say one one thing real quick that I think... Was, sorry to interrupt. No, but, no, go ahead. Um, one thing... Of, you're saying blending all this. I think the one blending they did that was vital to make sure that this was not racist in any way, shape, or form was the fact he didn't have an accent. Well, he had an he had an accent, but it wasn't like any. It wasn't a nation specific accent. It was it was a American. If it was any it accent, was kind it was of American. Joker meets Bane. Actually, that that is a fair assessment. You'll never see me coming. That's that, I kept thinking Joker the entire time. But I, I thought Joker Bane, and in a good yeah, way. Not, yeah, not, yeah, like not in a copy mimic way. Just but like I think, in a, oh, I can see elements of both. I think it was a very clear choice to. In order to make it not racist, was to make him right. clearly speak like an American, but anyway, sorry. or a British person because he did have a little bit of a British accent, With, yeah. more so when he was Trevor. But yeah. obviously, well, because he, was, he was, yes. <laughs> but so when they reveal that it's just an actor playing a role yeah. created by the real villain to do what to scare people. Yeah. He went, what are people afraid of? Let me create the ultimate villain that people can be afraid of. Yeah. So for me. It works narratively within the movie. It works as, oh, oh, that's a pretty decent plan, bad guy. I don't want to say bully for you, but yeah, it, yeah. That was not not bad try. Yeah. Evil try, but not bad. Um, <laughs> it was a worthy evil try. Yeah. But on a metatextual level, it's a commentary on the Mandarin of yeah. the comics and of those style of characters, be they Yellow Panic characters yeah. or be they any other style of racist stereotype, trope, reactionary villains. It's a commentary on all of those metatextually and within the movie. And I thought on every level, it worked really well. Now, I understand some people are upset because they're like, hey, the villain version of him worked so well, you could have kept that the whole movie. But I think it worked... Well, I I do agree. That probably would have worked. It added so much for me to this movie to have those other layers, both within the film and metatextually, that I was like, this is fantastic. This yeah. is a great deconstruction of this type of villain. I I agree, but I took that in the real world sense. Because my thought, when, when they revealed that and him in bed with the two women, my first thought went to, I think, one of the major, I don't want to say major influence, but I think they definitely drew from like the Bin Laden, my character. And certainly in the beard. Um, exactly. And, yeah. and the style of the videos and, and whatnot. But uh, Bin Laden, they say, they found him... 
you know, watching, you know, adult videos eating Oreos. Like, <laughs> you know, and so to me, I think it was almost a reflection of that, of we're so terrified of this, but in reality, they're just like all the rest of us, you know. Well, I mean, they're still blowing people up. No, yeah, in, the, in real yeah, life, yeah. In the movie. I, but however, there but is... they're not this true evil to be fear. Like they want to cause chaos, but at the end of the day, they're still going to watch adult videos and eat Oreos. Like you know, and so that was kind of my, the deconstruction that I saw for it. But I saw it the real world way, as opposed to in, in that some film. ways, yeah, it still is undercutting these types of, of political figures. Yeah. I mean, yeah, political I use very loosely, yeah. but you know what I mean. These type of world figures, it's still undercutting them, but in a very different way than, say, oh, hey, why don't we make a racist stereotype and make exactly. them a villain? You know, it's doing it in a... And deconstructualist is probably a little bit um, snooty to say. <laughs> probably. But, you know, it's doing it in an interesting new way that I haven't seen in a superhero movie before. Thought it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So... Anything else we're forgetting before we... No, we talk characters, we talk suits, and we talk villains, so I think that's pretty much it. All right, I'm Jordan from Jersey. I'm Pierce from Jersey. This is Jersey Shore. Have a good week, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to Jersey Shore. You can contact us at jordan at legionofdudes.com, that's J-O-R-D-A-N at legionofdudes.com, or follow me on Twitter at jordanfrmjersey. I just want to make absolute sure because what because of what I'm about to do. Okay, ready? All right, you have three seconds. If so you have not seen this movie, are you going to go Khan? Because that's going to be. I just, for them. just okay, okay, dang it. Or you could at least go Khan, but not like loud. Nope, nope. It's ruined now. It's ruined now. It, the thing that I was going to do, it's ruined because he said it. It was also ruined because it was really dumb when Jack Quinto did it in the movie. <laughs> no, shut up. Um, okay, so yes, fine. Now that I can't do that, basic what? Plot analysis. Okay, I just heard plot analysis, and I was like, that's... Plot well, pl- analysis. Basic plot analysis. Basic plot analysis. Um, um, is it like dialysis? Yes, exactly. It's like dialysis. No. This all gets cut later, you see, Denise. But see, I want this in here. I like the raw, uncutness. So... That's <laughs> what <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, like, you cannot see Denise's expression, me. and the good chance is you'll never hear this either. It's almost more of a comedic thing, the, the Welsh accent, as opposed to, like, the Scottish accent, but... Are you saying that... No, I'm saying I'm saying there were several times when they used it almost as a comedic bit. We're like, oh, what did you say? Like it was almost meant to be a lighthearted moment in w- what he was saying. Fine, but are you saying Chekhov is Welsh? That is my question. <laughs> what are you saying, Chekhov? Welshy. Are you saying Chekhov is Welsh from the country of Wales? No. um... You know what I mean. You know no, what I, mean. I no, don't. No, he doesn't. That's the what, what, His nickname's Welshy. Is it? Yes. He Did they ever use that in the movie? No, aware. they didn't. Go, Google. Google the thing. My phone's it? dead. That's why I'm paying attention now. <laughs> okay, good. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, just to be clear, he is <laughs> from so the, the former USSR. He's Russian or Ukrainian or something. Not Welsh. Okay. Uh, but I don't know where this Welshy thing came in. It's just totally his nickname. It's okay. totally... I will take your word on it. Right. It just totally threw me. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were saying he was Welsh. And I no, was like, no, no, what no, are you no. talking about? I actually about? left out with his facial expression. And then you saying the same exact yeah, thing yeah, like yeah, five no, times. No, 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 no. I misspoke. I misspoke. What are you talking about?